This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 510. Hello and welcome to the show. Great to have your company once again. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Samsung retains top spot ahead of Apple in the smartphone category. And while we're on smartphones, the foldable smartphones have experienced huge growth and we can go through the rumours ahead of Samsung's Galaxy Z Fold 4 launch next month. We're also going to give you the tips to keep you safe online at tax time. In the Tech Guide reviews, we take a look at not one smartwatch, but two, the Huawei Watch D, which can take your blood pressure, and the Withings Scan Watch Horizon, which looks like a regular watch. And we'll also road test the Samsung Bespoke Jet Pro Stick Vacuum. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. It's a smartphone and smartwatch heavy show today. Uh, we're going to kick off with the smartphones, of course, and Samsung is still the king, number one in the smartphone category after selling 73 million devices in the first quarter of 2022. That accounts for nearly 24% of the market. And that, of course, puts them in first place ahead of Apple, which has 18% of the smartphone category. It sold more than 56 million iPhones in the first quarter of 2022. Uh, so Samsung's exact figure is 73.6 million phones in Q1, uh, more than any other brand, and 17 million more than its closest rival, Apple. So its its precise market share is 23.4%. Now, you have to remember, Q1 2022 was when Samsung launched their Galaxy S22 lineup. So it was in February 2022. So all of those sales, that really helped boost the bottom line for them and helped them uh, pump up those figures. But it's funny that despite these these massive numbers, Apple, uh, with their 18% market share, is the only company to actually experience growth year on year. Every other company, their market share, their percentage of market share actually dropped. So Samsung uh, had more than 24% of the market in the, in the previous uh, qu- quarter one, 2021, uh, but they, uh, they also dropped. But Apple, the only company to experience growth, it was actually a 2.2% jump. I have to remember, too, the timing of this as well. Their iPhone 13 had been launched at the end of September 2021, 
So that was their the Q, Q4 was very strong and that obviously also carried on through Q1, but not quite to the, to the heights of Samsung, which analysts say that the reason behind this, and these are IDC figures, by the way, International Data Corporation have supplied these figures. Now, they're saying that Samsung, the reason they've established this leadership position in the smartphone category is because they focused on low and mid-tier models, as well as their flagships. But I'd say the percentage of phones that Apple, uh, that Samsung should sell, I should say, is more in the low and mid-tier models. Uh, so you, you look at Apple, they don't really even play in the low or even the mid-tier. They're only in the higher tier. So there's, I think, that the cheapest iPhone you can buy is an iPhone SE, and that's still 800 bucks. And that puts it well, sort of the top mid-tier category, whereas Samsung have probably five or six models cheaper than that in the Galaxy A series alone. So that, that's why I think that they've established this leadership position because they can offer at multiple price points uh, and that generates just significant volume. That's just the volume that they're selling. Uh, Apple's 18%, as I said, was a, a jump. No other company uh, had increased their market share, only Apple, which is a, a big tick for them. Chinese brand Xiaomi came in third. They have 12.7% of the market and massive in China. They shipped 39.9 million units in Q1. But that despite them accounting for nearly 13% of the market, they had an 18% drop in the company's market share year on year. So it's been a tough year out there. Well, I'll tell you why a little bit later. But the other two other Chinese manufacturers, Oppo and Vivo, they round out the top five smartphone suppliers by volume. So Oppo, Oppo had 8.7 market share. They shipped 27.4 million phones in Q1 2022. That, would you believe is a 27% decline year on year, while Vivo, they plunged 28% from a year earlier. They sold 25.3 million units to for them to claim 8.1% of the global market share. So you've got Samsung, number one, Apple, number two, Xiaomi, number three, Oppo, number four, Vivo, number five. Now, according to IDC, Smartphone consignments dropped 8.9% year-on-year in Q1 2022. That's the third straight quarter where smartphone shipments have actually fallen. Now, the result, the market decline can be put down to a number of things. Uh, first of all is the supply chain bottlenecks that apparently key, co- key components required for smartphone manufacturing uh, are just really hard to obtain now. So production is, has been hindered. The other, t- take into account also global inflation and all the economic uncertainties, that's also reduced customer demand, but also reduced their spending as well. That, 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 that uh, uncertainty and that inflation, rising cost of living prices, which we're experiencing everywhere, particularly in China. China, pretty hard hit there. That was a, a massive area where sales just dropped. Now, you've got to take into account also the Russia-Ukraine war. That also creates more market uncertainty and has actually forced manufacturers to revise their growth predictions for 2022 because uh, it's having – I think we've spoken about it on a previous show where 
Russia and Ukraine are actually two countries that actually so they do a lot of work in the chip space, so the, the uh, semiconductor space. Uh, and, and with these two countries at war, that has also been a, a factor that's affected the smartphone market, among other markets, the car market, appliances market, you name it. Anything that needs a chip inside it, they've, uh, they've had some tough times in the last couple of years. Now, the reason Apple and Samsung have done have stayed at the top, they've simply just managed their supply chain a little bit better. They, they have their supply chain issues. I guess they've got a lot of buying power when you're companies of that size. They've managed their supply chain better than all these other companies, and they've sidestepped these, these, these dramatic slumps that other manufacturers have experienced. Apple's actually grown by 2.2%, so they're doing something right. Those figures uh, and all that story, if you want to find out a little bit more about that, is a very competitive market and Samsung's at the top, closely followed by Apple. And uh, generally, it's dropping, but uh, Apple's managed to to see some growth in that period. If you want to read a little bit more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. While we're on the subject of smartphones, let's talk about another category within the category, and that is foldable devices. Now, there's some interesting news that the market for smartphones has, for foldable smartphones, has grown significantly. Global sales were four times higher in 2021 as they were compared to 2020. Now, yes, this is a relatively young market, although Samsung's about to release the fourth generation of their foldable devices. And any growth, I guess, from you, you from a small from a small start, you uh, you can you can grow from a smaller start. So even though they've grown fourfold, it's small amount of the market is a foldable is are foldables. So growing four times, while it sounds good and is moving in the right direction, it's not like that they're competing against regular smartphones, but the appetite for these devices is growing, and Samsung is leading the way. They're about to launch the new Galaxy Z Fold 4 and the Galaxy Z Flip 4 uh, in August. We'll talk about more about that in a minute, but just you got to think here, Samsung, number one smartphone manufacturer, we, we, we were just talking about that, but they're also probably the most advanced company when it comes to foldable devices. So they're kind of, at the moment, they're, they're in the market on their own. So they're, they're taking a leadership position here. Well, they're, you know, first, first mover advantage, being able to get these products in front of customers before any other company. Now, you can just imagine what the potential for this market would be once a company like Apple joins in. And we've seen in the past so many times where Apple's not first to the party, but when they do arrive at the party, it's a game changer. So you can just imagine what's going on at Apple, whether they're going to enter this market, whether it's going to be in a year, in two years, in five years, or if at all, they're going to enter this market. Now, the, the speculation that, that from me about this from on Apple's side is what sort of foldable would they make? We've seen now with this with Samsung, they've got the Galaxy Z Fold for the Z Fold. So that's a basically a smartphone that opens up to a tablet. Their other device is the Galaxy Z Flip, which is a a, fold, a phone looks like a regular phone but folds in half, so you can fit it in your pocket. So my my thought here, my speculation here is, what would Apple do? Where would they? What what device, what foldable strategy would they employ? 
my my gut says that Apple want to not only preserve their iPhone sales, but they also want to preserve their iPad sales. So if I don't think they're gonna they're gonna release a device like an iPhone that folds up to the size of an iPad, folds out to the size of an iPad or an iPad Mini, because that's gonna that's gonna cannibalize their iPad market. Or would they be more likely to produce an iPhone that folds in half? So that you can have your iPhone and then imagine having that. You've got a six point eight inch iPhone that can fold down to half its size so you can fit it in your pocket. So many so many customers and, and my readers and listeners have said to me they don't want a big phone because they, they, they don't want to carry it. You know, women can't fit it in their bag. Men don't want to lug around a big device. So imagine that scenario where you could actually just, just snap a phone, just, just snap it in half, close the phone, an iPhone, and it is half the size of what a regular iPhone would be. That is, I think, the path that Apple is likely to take. Perhaps the other thing would be create a large iPad. Imagine having a 12.9 or a 13-inch iPad that folds in half, and that's all it is. It folds in half just for convenience. I don't think it would have a front screen. It just folds in half because if it, if it folded in half, it could potentially be a phone. Now, would they do that? Would they want to risk iPhone sales in that regard? So I think the guys over at Apple are probably they're taking a really measured approach to this. They're not rushing into to anything like Samsung's tablet market. While it's healthy, it's not like they're anywhere near the iPad in terms of sales. So whether their phone opens up to, I think it's going to be like a seven point six inch, like last year's fold. That's not really going to cannibalize any other tablet. The the Tab S tablets in the market, they're they're a lot bigger than that. So uh, I think Apple's a bit more precious with its tablet market. It, it obviously has more market share. So I, I can't see them having a fold-type device that goes from phone to iPad. Uh, that would uh, that would surprise me. If they did, brilliant. I'd, I'd buy that. But uh, I, I can't see it happening. I'd probably see the more likely that they're producing an iPhone that folds in half rather than an iPhone that folds out to a, to a uh, to an iPad. Now let's talk about the rumors. Plenty of them following uh, from roaming around right now, especially about the Galaxy Z Fold Four and the Galaxy Z Flip Four. Uh, our info is that there will be a launch in the US in early August. We're thinking, I think it's going to be around about the 10th of August is the rumor that's been around for quite a while, where they will announce the Galaxy Z Fold 4 and the Galaxy Z Flip 4. Now, on the Z Fold 4 side, it will reportedly have a less visible crease. You know, when you open up, anyone who's seen the Galaxy Z Fold, you open it up and the crease is quite obvious, you know, the, the, the hinge above the hinge on the screen. That's quite obvious on the current model. Apparently, rumours are that you can barely see the crease now once it's open flat. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And it'll have a 6.2-inch HD plus AMOLED 120 hertz front screen, according to the rumours, with 12 gig of RAM and storage capacities of 256 and 512 gig. The, it will open up then to the 7.6-inch XGA AMOLED, also 120 hertz screen. It'll have a rear uh, triple camera system, which includes a 50 megapixel, 12 megapixel, and a 10 megapixel camera. Now, the other speculation around the Z4 is about the S Pen. Now, we remember last year, the Galaxy Z Fold 3 introduced S Pen compatibility, but there was nowhere to put it. So if you are, say, like this year's S22 Ultra, for example, 
That is kind of the new Galaxy Note with the S Pen built in. And you could just slot the S Pen into the phone and it's there whenever you need it. Not the case with the Z Fold 3. You had to buy a case and the case had a little pocket for the for the S Pen. Uh, or you just got to carry it around loose, which is a bit of a hassle. The speculation is whether the Z Fold 4 will make room for the S Pen inside the device, like, like the S22 Ultra. Uh, I've heard differing reports about this, whether it will have a storage slot or not. I've heard rumours on either side that it will, and then other rumours to say that it won't. I guess we'll have to wait till early August to find that out for sure. Uh, the Z Flip 4 will basically look the same as it does now, as will the Z Fold 4. Nothing dramatic in terms of design. There will be little improvements uh, on the device. The Z Flip 4, same thing. It'll look virtually the same. It'll be lighter, according to some of the rumours. And the front screen will also have a lot more functionality and capability, including being able to run apps on their own on that smaller front display like you would on a wearable device, like you would on a watch. So imagine having a little little app running on the front of your phone. You don't have to open up the phone. It's running there, and it, it runs on its own. doesn't need the, the big screen to open up for it to operate. Also talk that the Z Flip 4 may also inherit the S Pen compatibility as well. But I guess the, the device is just too small to have the S Pen stored on board. Uh, that's just uh, goes against, uh, really defeats the purpose there. But if having S Pen compatibility, it might be a, an optional extra for customers. The Samsung foldables, the and all the rumors about the Z Flip Four and the Z Fold Four, we're going to stay. We're going to keep our finger on the pulse about this. We're excited about these new releases in early August, uh, so stay tuned to Tech Guide for any news on these devices. But if you want to see more, we've got a story up on Tech Guide today. If you want to see these rumors for yourself, find out a little bit more about foldables. You never know; your next phone might be a foldable. If you're thinking about that, then you should take a look at our story. Now, we've said in the past, cyber criminals are really cunning bastards, let's just say. They're very shrewd. They know when it's the right time of year to launch various little things, little scams, and this year's no different. So if you're, it, it is, it's it's just early in the new financial year, which is still tax time. If you're filing your tax return, now's the time to be doing it. So tax filers really need to stay safe because these cyber criminals, you just won't believe what they can get up to. They know it's tax time and they are knowing that people are sharing a lot of info, doing a lot of stuff online to prepare their tax returns. So here is their opportunity to try to cheat you out of your money, out of your identity, out of your tax return even. So uh, Norton, who is one of our great sponsors, they've come up with some tips on helping to spot a scam and to protect yourself during tax season. Now, before we get into the tips, there are three main, the most common scams aimed at last-minute tax filers. Uh, the first one is a compromised tax file number. So if your tax file number, your TFN, if that gets into the wrong hands, would you believe it can be misused to lodge tax returns and other tax forms and re even receive refunds in your name? So it's just part of that identity package we need to protect because the magic combination of your name, your phone number, email address, 
physical address, tax file number, license number. This is valuable information for cyber criminals and why you should guard it with your life. So imagine that, you, you, your tax file number is compromised. Try to explain that to the Australian Tax Office. Speaking of the ATO, another common scam is ATO impersonation. Now, these cyber criminals, they look for opportunities around this time and a common scam is impersonating the ATO. So just keep this in mind. The ATO will never, ever send you an unsolicited pre-recorded message to your phone. So I've received this robocall myself. Uh, there's been a warrant issued for your arrest of outstanding tax tax <laughs> to be filed to the Australian Tax Office. Uh, it's a scam, people. Their robocalls are fake. So what they're trying to do here is trying to obtain your bank account details and other identifying information. So normally that robocall would end was press one for us to process your return and a lot of people have gone down that path and bank account details have been shared and other identifying information and boom, uh, they've lost their money. And of course, phishing scams is the other big one, the third big threat and several types of tax-related phishing attacks. So you can, there's even, this is how shrewd these bludgers are, right? These, the cyber criminals, they can even impersonate a person's employer. So imagine you work for, I don't know, a big company, companies that, that employ millions of people. So there's, it's it's a numbers game. That The odds are that a person receiving that email will possibly work for that company. So you can just imagine an email that's that's the message is let's make it easy for you let's help you with your tax let's get it done and people you know path of least resistance they'll think okay great let's click on this let's get this done not knowing that that's a that this is a scam that they're just giving all their details and bank account details to a scammer another that's a very common one the other of course is impersonating the ato which we've mentioned but also too is uh uh the a government agency like you, it might be like my gov was a big uh, uh, impersonated during covid uh so it, it, around around this time really just look twice check out things and let, let's. Well, this is the time to talk about these tips now. The the tips from uh, Mark Gorry, who's there, uh, the APAC director at Norton LifeLock. His tips about uh, for late minute, last minute tax filers. The, the number one, if you're not sure about any communication from the ATO, so if you get an email or even a call, you won't get a call. But if you say you get an email, contact the ATO. Ring, go directly to the ATO to verify. Don't be clicking on links in messages and emails thinking it's real. Assume every email you get is trying to scam you. I think that that's the best approach. That's what I tell my parents. My parents are both in their 80s. I said, look, any email you get from what you think is a telco, a bank, the ATO, assume every single one is a scam and look at it that way. And that's what they do. They go to the branch, they ring up, they do their own thing. They don't, they don't click on any links in there. Also, another tip, know the status of your tax affairs. Know how you are traveling. Do you owe money? Are you going to receive a refund? Know that. So that way, if some idiot rings you saying, oh, you owe us money, you say, no, I don't. I'm going to get a ret- I'm getting money. So just know your affairs. Also, when filing your taxes online, use a secure Wi-Fi connection, especially in public Wi-Fi. People wonder, how the hell do, do people, would scammers find out about this? You use public Wi-Fi, there is a way for someone, and the odds of this are, are pretty low, I understand, but it happens. If you're in a public Wi-Fi and say you're looking at your bank account or you're look, looking at finding your info for your tax return, 
some other some other person on the network, the same public free Wi-Fi network, could be snooping all the other connected computers and see exactly what you're looking at. You can see you you're looking at your bank account. They see you typing in a password. They see your bank account, your, your details, your ATO, your tax file number. They can see all this. So a way around that is using a secure VPN. That's part of the Norton 360 software, secure VPN, among other features, but that is one of them. So the advantage of that, have that switched on if you're on public Wi-Fi, so that way no one can see what you're doing. That's your own public tunnel into the internet. Also, of course, use security software, Norton, of course, Norton 360, they're sponsors of our show. Uh, use it on your devices, on your backup, you know, back up your data regularly as well. You do get online backup for with if you do buy Norton 360 as well. Also, look for signs that an email could be fraudulent. This is spotting a phishing email, a fraudulent email, actually isn't that hard. Number one, check for unusual spelling or grammar. Normally, the, a lot of these scams originate in countries where English is not the first language, and so there's unusual spelling, grammar. It's does it's not really good English in the, in the in the email. The other thing too is to see if they're addressing you by name. It might say, "Dear sir, to whom it may concern." That's a generic email, and as I said, it's a numbers game. That email's probably gone out to five million people. If they get a return from 0.1 percent, then it's massive. So just keep an eye out for that as well. If there's an urgency to uh, press on a link or open an attachment, another red flag. So that that's what these fraudsters use. They're the tactics they use to try to get you to download malware or compromise your personal information. Keep those in mind. So if you are filing tax around this time and who isn't, uh, be careful out there. Make sure you're taking those precautions. Now you know what to keep an eye out for. Uh, we don't want you to become a victim. If you want to read more about the tax tips from Norton, check it out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. If your home demands superior Wi-Fi, treat it with a masterpiece in connectivity. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6E from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6E is the first and only Wi-Fi 6 quad-band whole home mesh system opening an exclusive all-new 6 gigahertz superhighway that's fine-tuned to deliver unprecedented Wi-Fi speeds and smoother streaming simultaneously across the smartphones of today and tomorrow. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Wi-Fi 6E, the fastest Wi-Fi ever. Find out more at netgear.com.au forward slash best Wi-Fi. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. I did tell you it's a bonanza of smartwatches. There's two of them, two smartwatches we're talking about today. First up, we're talking about the Huawei Watch D. Now, we've seen lots of smartwatches out there, and they all have health features and all of these wellness features, but the Huawei Watch D has something those others don't have. It can measure your blood pressure. Now, other smartwatches can monitor your blood pressure. So there are blood pressure monitors. That's different. Monitoring your blood pressure means you need to tap in your traditional reading, your cuff reading, and 
then that device uses its heart rate monitor and sensors to track the changes in your blood flow to track the changes in your blood pressure. But it doesn't actually take your blood pressure. The Watch D does take your blood pressure. Now, if you if you have a traditional reading, there are two figures that you see. So the the, the you know how the example is like 120 over 80. So those two figures represent the two different types of pressures that are used. So, you know, if you go to the doctor, they, they put an inflatable cuff on your upper arm and they inflate it. And by inflating that, that cuff, it cuts off your circulation momentarily. And then they, when they release that, then they measure from that, they can measure the pressure in your arteries as, it's, as it plump, pumps blood during each beat. That's called the systolic blood pressure. And then it also measures the pressure as the heart prepares for the next beat. That's called the diastolic blood pressure. So it's systolic over diastolic, 120 over 80, or in my case, it was 131 over 87 uh, with, with, the, with the Huawei Watch D. But I did back that up with a traditional uh, or a, a purpose-built uh, blood pressure measurement device. So rather than just leaving... Uh, my review has me testing my blood pressure on the watch, but also on a dedicated device you can buy in the shops. It's it's got a traditional cuff you put on your upper arm, and it and it inflates and then measures your blood pressure. I thought I would compare the two. I'll talk about more uh, about that in a moment. The watch itself has a one point six four inch display with four fifty six by two eighty resolution. That's nice and sharp. Three twenty six PPI, that's pixels per inch. It's made out of graphite aluminium and has a rubber like strap. They call it fluoroelastoma, the uh, the strap. Look feels like silicon rubber. Uh, the band is also adjustable, and that's important because you need to create a snug fit. So the right fit not only makes it comfortable, but also ensures more accurate measurements for your blood pressure uh, and other things that you, you know, blood oxygen and all that sort of stuff. Now, Watch D from Huawei is slightly thicker than a regular watch, so it's a little bit fatter, but not by much. You're looking at it, you think, wow, this is pretty impressive considering what this thing can do, including all those features to take your blood pressure. Uh, which are on board as well. So still not bad considering what this thing can do. Now, I mentioned earlier that taking your blood pressure requires you to have this inflatable cuff on your upper arm. Huawei does that in a similar way, but in a shrunken down form. So with with the Huawei Watch D, it uses a, it's got a mini pump on board, and there is a small dual-layer airbag on the inside of the watch band. So there's also a sensor on the bottom of the watch that comes into play to measure your pulse as the pressure from the airbag is released. You know, like when you're at the doctor, they've got the cuff measuring, the cuff blown up on your arm, and then the doctor holds a stethoscope on the inside of your elbow to, to measure the, 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 the diastolic and systolic figures. So that's tr- that's what the sensor on board the watch does. So it's reading your heart rate as as this is deflating, so the pressure is being released slowly. So to to start the test, all you got to do is press the blood pressure icon on the on the smartwatch's home screen. Now here's the instruction they give you: you need to rest your arm with the with the watch on it. So in my case, it was my left arm, 
you have to rest the watch at heart height. So basically, like your arms in a sling, you sort of put it across your body around the same heart height as your heart. And then you need to be in a relaxed, seated position for the test. So once you've done, once because once you press the button, you put your arm up like that heart height, and then you can feel the airbag inflating inside the band and tightening around your wrist. So similar sensation of the pressure you feel with a traditional inflatable cuff, and you feel it sort of pumping up to its maximum and then slowly releasing. And then after about thirty seconds, you hear a beep. And that indicates the test has been completed, and then you can see on the screen what your what your pressure how, how it was measured. Now I mentioned earlier I wanted this to be to be used on its own. We don't know how accurate it is. Uh, so what I decided to do was uh, I actually got my dad. My dad's got this little blood pressure device. That it's called the Omron. It's about I think a hundred bucks you buy from the chemist, and it's got the cuff. And it's got the uh, it's got a big unit that you press the button and inflates the cuff and then releases the cut of the pressure and then gives you those two readings. So I thought I want to put it up against like a dedicated blood pressure measurement device and to see just how accurate it was. Now we took so many measurements on both the the cuff the the Omron and also the the Watch D and some pretty wild variations. We got. Uh, as low as like 112 over 89, all the way up to like 153 over 96. So the optimum optimum heart rate, uh, sorry, blood pressure is 120, and 120 is like normal, 130 is slightly elevated, above 140 is high, and above 150 is really high. And same with the, the lower figure, Around 90 is about average. Anything lower than 90 is good. Anything way above 90 is that's on the slightly higher side. But with those variations, though, and and look, I don't know how many times you've taken your blood pressure, but I do know for a fact that what you do, where you are, how you're sitting, what you're doing, what you've just eaten, that does affect your blood pressure. And there, there is there there were uh, there were these wild variations, but the wild variations were the same on both the Omron and the Watch D. So if I was, if the, the readings that were showing me, I was 150 over 96, it was also showing on the Watch as well as the Omron at the same time. So they were always in the same ballpark. So the, 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 I did a test actually while I was writing the review that test was 131 over 87. So I think there's a photo of that on my story. So you see you see the 131 on 87. And then immediately after that, I put on the cuff from the Omron and I did that test. And that result was 135 over 86. So pretty similar in, in terms of the blood pressure measurement. So I think that indicates to me that it it's, in, it's, it's, it's pretty accurate compared to a dedicated device. So it's in the same ballpark. As I said, so many variables for your blood pressure, but at least those variables are having the same effect on the Watch D as well as the other blood pressure measuring device. You know, it depends on time of day, what you've been doing, if you've been exercising, did you just drink a coffee? There's all these little things uh, that you can that, that you need to take into account. But the beauty of having the Watch D on your wrist at all times, you can take as many readings as you want. And there is a little section where it lets you look at the past 15 measurements so that you can, you can kind of get an average. You can even show that to your doctor and say, look, here's what my ballpark here. Uh, and they can take their own test of course but 
if you knowing your blood pressure is really important, if you if you do have a high blood pressure, then uh, you obviously need to manage it. Whether it's changing your diet, increasing your exercise, reducing your alcohol intake, getting more sleep, there's all these things you can do to reduce your blood pressure. But the fact that you can take it anytime you want, anywhere with the Watch D really makes it handy. So you don't have to uh, roll up your sleeve and get the cuff ready and get, get it out of the cupboard and get it ready. This is ready to go anytime. All you need to do is sit still, put your arm up to heart height, and you're good to go. So I'm really impressed with it. Uh, it it's the blood pressure is just one of many heart, uh, many health features. It can also take your blood oxygen levels. It's an ECG as well. Can take your heart rate to 24/7 heart rate monitoring. Uh, and on the exercise side, there's also more than 70 workouts as well, like running, walking, rowing, swimming, cycling, yoga. Everything's monitored through the Huawei Health app. This watch, by the way, can also be used with both an iPhone and an Android phone because the Huawei Health app works on both platforms. That's kind of the companion app for the connected smartphone. And it's also a smart device. You can tell you when you're getting a call, when you get a message, does all of that as well. Has a slightly elongated face, so it's not a square face, it's more rectangular. Uh, But you know what? Again, Huawei, amazing battery life. Seven days of battery life. Uh, so again, the, I don't know what sort of what magic they're weaving into their batteries on a wearable device here. Uh, it is runs for an amazing seven days, which lets you do a lot. And, and if you're taking your blood pressure, that that uses up a lot of uh, would use up a lot of power. But I I took my blood pressure I think thirty five times in a couple of days, and the battery hardly moved. So big tick on the battery life as well. The Huawei Watch D, it's $7.99. It's a little bit more expensive, but you know what? If uh, if it is, yeah, if it's all about your health, if you do have high blood pressure or you need to monitor your blood pressure, I think this is an ideal thing. It meets all, can cover all your health, wellness, and fitness needs. Uh, it really does a great job. If you want to read our complete review of the Huawei Watch D, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Alrighty, on to smartwatch review number two, and we're talking about the Withings Scan Watch Horizon, which is a totally different beast to the Watch D that we just spoke about from Huawei. The Withings Scan Watch Horizon is a smartwatch, but doesn't look like it. And I think that is a as a big tick for many customers. I think there's a lot of watch fans that they love their watch. And they want the smarts, but they just don't like the look of a smartwatch. Like the Huawei Watch D is just basically a screen you wear on your wrist. It ha- it's all screen, just like the Apple Watch and Samsung Galaxy watches. They're all it's all screen. The Withings Scan Watch, though, the Horizon looks like a diver's watch, and has hands, physical hands. It's got a, a blue face or a green face. There's an option. Uh, it's got a rotating dial around the outside. It's got a physical crown as well on the right edge, which is also a, a pressable button. Uh, and has a tiny circular screen in the top half of the watch face. So that's the only digital part of the watch is this little circular screen that's just below the 12 and between the 11 and 1. So it's in that little top little portion of the screen, of the of the watch face, and that tells you the digital time. You can press it again to see the steps, the floors you've climbed, press it again to do the ECG. By the way... The ECG is on the Withings 
Withings Scan Watch for a couple of years ago was the first watch in Australia to be officially authorised to offer ECG. It was the first one, even before Apple Watch, to have ECG. So Withings in this space uh, are leaders. So they do have those health features on board, even though it doesn't look like a smartwatch. It has all the features of a smartwatch, including all the workout modes, you know, tracking your steps and all these things, it even tracks your sleep, but doesn't look like a watch. Now, it does have a stainless steel band, so the watch band, and as well as all the tools you need to remove the links. I remember when I got my review unit, I actually had to remove a couple of links because it was a little bit loose uh, and the tools were all there. So there's like a little hammer and a little pin and a, a little guide rail. So you put it in there and yeah, it was no no sweat taking out two links and uh, and making this a more snug fit. Uh, the, the watch itself has uh, not only the stainless steel band, but also stainless steel design as well. It, it looks pretty impressive, I have to say. Uh, can monitor your heart rate as well. There's a heart rate through the embedded PPG sensor. Uh, it also has breathing disturbance detection, which while sleeping, this can sense nighttime breathing disturbances, which are a sign of sleep apnea. So it does this by using an algorithm that analyzes your blood oxygen levels and your heart rate, and your movement with the sensor, and your breathing frequency, all of that is put together by through the scan watches accelerometer and optical sensors and can can come up with this with your breathing disturbances detection. Uh, so again, remarkable. The watch can, of course, we've said monitors your workouts, your activities, uh, your calories burned, and even if you uh, if you've got an in-app connected GPS, can also monitor your workout routes. Uh, can monitor more than thirty activities too: walking, swimming, running, cycling. Of course, swimming because it's a diver's watch. It is waterproof, uh, waterproof to a depth of thirty ATM. I think it is so. That's uh, that that's it's like like a diver's watch where you can get down there and uh, you're not going to risk damaging the device because it does have that protection. You can uh, die. You can take this diving or snorkeling or swimming. Like a lot a lot of people ask me, uh, can I take a smartwatch to to for a swim uh, or to the beach? And of course you can. But I think the the rule of thumb here is to make sure you have uh, you give it a rinse. So you can take it in the surf. But if you rinse it out in salt, because it's salt water, best thing to do is rinse it off. It is, it's 10 ATM, by the way, water resistant. So that's, uh, that's, that's similar to like what you'd expect with a diver's watch. And this, with this watch, you can definitely take it for a swim, as you can with others. It just, it's just a good idea to give it a rinse, especially if you're swimming in salt water, uh, just to, to ensure that there's no, uh, no damage there. But the, uh, the Withings Scan Watch Horizon, I think it's the smartwatch for people who don't want a smartwatch. They want the smarts, but they all they want the traditional style and design, and that's what Withings delivers uh, in spades. It's a it's a nice looking watch, I've got to say. Uh, very, I think it'd be popular amongst those who don't want to be just wearing a screen on their wrist. They want a physical watch. They want the hands. They want the the whole diver's watch look. What I like about it too, because the the little display is up in the top half of the of the watch face. If it's say, say it's at twelve o'clock or ten to twelve or whatever, if you want to look at the screen, the hands are actually in front of the screen. So when you press the screen, press the button to activate the screen, the hands actually just part; they move out the way. 
then you can so you can see whatever you need to see on the screen. Once you're done, the hands just pop back into position. I reckon that's really cool. Uh, it is obviously if you want to be able to read the screen at any time, and of course if it's four thirty, where the, the watch the, the hands are at the bottom end of the or, or six thirty, if the, the, any of the hands are the bottom half of the screen of the face, no such problem. But if it's up top, you know if it's around there, getting to the top of the hour, uh, it does move out of the way for you, which I think is uh, is a pretty nice little feature. The ScanWatch Horizon, uh, and I think it's six hundred ninety nine ninety nine, which is more expensive than a smartwatch because I think you're getting two for one here. You're getting the style, and look, it's it's stainless steel. It's made out of really nice materials, so you're getting the watch, a real watch, as well as the screen and the smarts. Uh, battery life, too, I should mention that battery life is an amazing up to thirty days. Now people are saying, how the hell do they do that? Well, I'll tell you how. It's not powering a large display. It's only powering a tiny little display when you need it. That, that display is only on when you press the button. So it's not like it's on all the time. It's only doing. It's only powering that screen when needed. So it's uh, that's the reason why you're getting that amazing 30-day battery life. Not like an, an Apple Watch where you've got this big screen powered 24-7 you need to charge it every day, and other smartwatches are the same. In this instance, 30-day battery life, which is incredible. Now, the other good thing, too, on the workout side, too, uh, you can link a lot of third-party apps through the HealthMate app, which is what you use to link it to your phone, and that's uh, including Apple Health, Google Fit, Strava, MyFitnessPal, all linked through the Health app as well. So you get the complete experience, even though it doesn't even look like a smartwatch. So win-win either way. If you want to read more about the Withings Scan Watch Horizon, check it out, techguide.com.au. Okay, let's get into the cleaning space now. And Samsung don't not only make smartwatches and tablets and smartphones, but also they make vacuums. And in this instance, the Bespoke Jet Pro Extra Stick Vacuum. Now, this is a cleaning system, I like to call it, because it's not only the vacuum, it's also a charger, but it's also a cleaning station. So it's all this, this, little, all this little system built into one. So the jet stick itself rests on top of the charging station, which also doubles as the cleaning station. So you can empty out debris down into a bag that will last, it takes take a couple of months to fill it, but it is a nice little system. There's five layer filtration with metal mesh grill. Uh, so it filters up the larger particles while the washable microfilter captures up to 99.999%. There's always that 0.001% that get away with it. But look, if you can get the rest of them, uh, you're doing pretty well of the fine dust particles. This is really important because cleaning is one thing, but cleaning hygienically is another. And that's what Samsung's done here. Dyson also, they make massive claims in that area uh, and that they also can back that as well, of course, but because of their filtration system. But Samsung also in that same ballpark because what's the point of cleaning when if you're moving stuff around and if you've got sensitivities and allergies, it's only going to make it worse. So uh, this is good to know that you've got this filtration system that can get rid of all the nasties out of the air as well. Now, this is uh, we, we used this for a few weeks before our review, uh, and this is both a vacuum and a mop. 
Uh, and so I'm the owner of, of two Dalmatians, Ziggy and Logan. You've probably seen their photos in my phone reviews. I always take photos of them with uh, phones that I'm reviewing. Uh, but we also made use of the pet tool. The pet tool lets you uh, clean up furniture and bedding and stuff like that if your pet happens to sleep on your bed. Mine don't. They're too big. They get to, it'd be like a horse sleeping on my bed. They're quite quite big uh, big dogs. But they, uh, they do get near the lounge. They don't sit on the lounge, but they get near the lounge and I can see their fur on the carpet and everything. So that's why I need a good vacuum. And the Bespoke Jet Pro Extra Stick really did a good job here. Um, in terms of suction, uh, I think this really held its own. There's four levels of suction. Mid, mini, sorry, min, mid, so minimum, middle, maximum, and jet. Uh, offers up to 210 watts of power and goes up to 135,000 RPM. That's pretty solid. Uh, you can, uh, the modes are set through the buttons on the handle. The display also tells you the charging status when it's on the cleaning station. So it'll tell you a percentage of battery, uh, but it also gives you, while you're using it, the remaining running time. Now, the suction, as I said, was pretty solid, and the the main jet dual brush head was really cool for removing carpet from uh, hair from our carpets. Like I've got chocolate coloured carpets, like dark carpet, and my Dalmatians there got little white hairs, and you can see them plain as day. Uh, but one sweep of the the jet dual brush head on on the bespoke the jet the Samsung jet bespoke, and they were gone. Now the obvious comparison here is how does it go against a Dyson? Now I've got to say, probably suction wise, Dyson might have the edge. Uh, they, 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 you can just feel it on the carpet, just slightly more, not, not, not much more. Uh, but the Dyson, uh, while it has that slightly better suction, it, it's only a vacuum. Uh, doesn't have the cleaning station, doesn't have the mopping capabilities, doesn't have the charging station. So I think if you're comparing it just on price, you're getting a lot more for your money with Samsung. If you're comparing it just on suction while vacuuming, I think Dyson just has the edge, but not by much, I've got to say. Both uh, produce great results. Uh, the, the, the just bespoke Jet Pro extra stick vacuum, the Jet mode gives you about roughly about nine minutes of cleaning time. That's like the boost mode on your Dyson, which is about similar sort of seven or eight minutes. You get full full power or everything you got, about nine minutes. Good thing, though, about the, the, Pro, the, the Bespoke Jet Pro is you get two batteries with it. So one can be on the device itself, on the vacuum charging, and you can have another charged battery on the little accessory stand that you get with it as well. So if your battery suddenly runs out, you can just go over to the stand, pop in, take off the old one, uh, put that on the stand and pop in the new one, and then you're away. And then the battery that's attached to the vacuum on the charging stand is what's going to be charged. So you probably need to, once you put the, the vacuum back, uh, once that battery's charged, it's an idea to then pop that va battery off, the fully charged one, put that in the stand, and then get the other battery and charge that fully so that when you're ready to go, you've got two fully charged batteries, so you get double the cleaning time. The PET tool, smaller head, but gives you a nice little vacuum, if on, on you know, vacuuming furniture, uh, you know, on on beds and stuff like that. So not, not everyone has massive dogs like I have, but little dogs that sometimes sleep on your bed. You can vacuum up after them. If they're sitting on your lounge, same deal. The main wand I like is height adjustable. So uh, you can extend it a little bit 
and there's plenty of accessories with us. All these tools that let you uh, angle angle the the head so you can maybe vacuum above cupboards or blinds and things like that. Uh, there's a short cradle as well as I mentioned, so you can put all your accessories together. Uh, but let's talk about mopping. The mopping accessory. Well, you, you once you attach the mop. There's a, it's a, it's got a dual head, so there's two circular brushes that that, that attach to the bottom. There's a little uh, bottle, a 150 ml bottle that goes into it as well. That provides the water that you can spray ahead of the head. Uh, and once once you, it's in mopping mode, it is uh, you, the instructions on the handle change naturally. So it does for you to it dispense the water to spray the water. Uh, you can just press the plus button. And that does a spray of water ahead of the head, so that the the uh, the circular brushes that are spinning quite quickly, you can then gives you a little bit of uh, that water. You can actually spread out a fair bit. Now the spray spinning sweeper, that's what it's called, has the reusable circular microfiber pad. So they just attach on the bottom with Velcro. Um, the little bottle attaches into the thing as well. You fill it up. You you pop it into the head there. And it does uh, once you press the plus button, it does spray out a bit of water. My only thing. One, even a short press, it does spray a fair bit of water. So you can actually spread that around a fair bit. It does, uh, it's pretty generous on the water side. So uh, normally, like I've got tile floors in my, my downstairs of my house. So rather than me having to get down on my hands and knees with a wipe and sort of get rid of those sort of stains and marks off the floor, the Samsung spray spinning sweeper on the, the bespoke Jet Pro Extra did the job. It was pretty good, but the water goes a long way. You don't have to spray much. You can spread it out a fair bit. Uh, it does It does give you a generous amount of water, so you're not going to be left short there. The Bespoke Jet Pro Extra Stick Vacuum System, and it's a system. There's plenty of accessories, pads, disposable wash pads, dust bags. Uh, one comes installed. You get two spares. I think you buy a three-pack for 30 bucks. That'll last you about a year. Uh, there's also the accessory cradle, two batteries, the pet tool, the jet dual brush, spray spinning sweeper, flexible tool, crevice tool, and the vacuum itself, and the cleaning station. That's all priced at one thousand one hundred and forty-nine bucks. Now, a Dyson it costs more. You to get the V15 with the laser, that's more than that. So what you're getting here is a pretty decent cleaning system. It's effective, works very well. The suction on vacuum side. Not far behind a Dyson, but it's it's no slouch, uh, and it's also a mop as well. So definitely worth a look if you're after a complete cleaning solution. I can vouch for it. I clean my whole house with this thing. So if you want to check out, check it out at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is, proudly, is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. The dark web is an underground part of the web that isn't searchable from regular search engines. It's where cyber criminals buy and sell illicit items and stolen personal information like bank account details, home addresses, credit card information and more. Norton 360 Premium includes dark web monitoring, which searches the dark web markets for your personal details and if discovered, it will notify you. The Norton 360 has multiple layers of protection for your devices, online privacy like a secure VPN and dark web monitoring, all in a single solution. So with real-time threats, with real-time threat protection to help protect you and your devices from existing and emerging online threats, parental control to manage your kids' online time, 
school time to manage your child's remote learning, a password manager to generate, store and manage your passwords and other credentials more securely, SafeCam for PC and SMS security too. It's all in the Norton 360 Premium, which is available for PCs, Macs, smartphones or tablets and is available online at aunorton.com or an electrical reseller. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is proudly brought to you by our good mates at Belkin, belkin.com forward slash au. If you're after earphones, charging cables, batteries, portable batteries to charge your phone, MagSafe accessories, Belkin has them for you, belkin.com forward slash au. Uh, was asked a question about hard drives and the vast difference in pricing for various drives. I think my reader was a little confused between SSD and hard drives. Now, SSD stands for Solid State Drive. Basically, it's a more like a memory card, but obviously with higher capacity, but with no moving parts. So retaining or uh, re- retrieving information is a lot faster than a traditional hard drive. I'm sure people have seen on laptops, uh, they don't have the spinning hard drives inside them anymore. They offer SSD storage, as do the new MacBooks that also have that option as well. So you won't find many laptops with a spinning disk inside. Uh, but you will still find external hard drives and portable drives with that with the spinning disk. That's the hard drive has the, still the platter, the spinning disk, SSD, no moving parts, just like a massive memory card, and is more expensive. SSD is more expensive. So a terabyte SSD is going to cost you twice, if not more, than a terabyte hard external hard drive. So. That, that's the basic difference. A lot of person said, well, how come the, the SSD one terabyte or two terabyte costs way more than two terabytes of, of, of a regular hard drive? That's why. This new technology, SSD, as I mentioned, is much faster to access your information. So, And it also can be pack housed in a much smaller uh, chassis as well. Uh, the best example is the little Samsung SSD drives, the T5s and the T7s, like the size of a credit card that can, that can fit in your pocket, two terabytes of memory. Try get a two terabyte hard drive. They are about the size of a phone or a deck of cards. They're a little bit bigger and a bit chunkier, but they do have that spinning hard drive inside. So that's the basic difference of hard drives. My advice is don't skimp on storage because if you're looking for a bargain, if you're looking at cheaper brands and something that's a no-name product, you've got to remember you're using this device to store personal information, data, backup, some valuable info that you don't want to lose. You don't want it to fail. You want it to be reliable. You want it to be to be there for you when you need it. So keep that in mind, and that's the basically the difference between SSD and hard drive. SSD costs a bit more, does the same thing. It's really important to have these as an external backup for your valuable data and memories. And that is our show for this week. We're glad you lasted this long. If you need to find out any more, you can find it at techguide.com.au. Everything we've spoken about is on our website. And please get in touch. Info at techguide.com.au is our email address. Hit us up if you have any questions or need need a, some troubleshooting. Also, the other alternative is to hit the Ask Stephen icon on the right side of the homepage, and that will get you an email to me. 
We want to also give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Please support the sponsors that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you once again, and we'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 